hear my own voice now. Okay. The Lord has truly been working this morning in my heart. Praise God for all that he has done. And I appreciate all who have participated in the service this morning. We are continuing uh, in this series in the book of James. The series is entitled Tried and True. And this morning we come to the seventh message in this series. Uh, Pastor Gary uh, initiated the series seven weeks ago and emphasized to us that James said we are to be a servant, remember? And we are to be a seed. See, that's good. All the kids are gone, but some of the adults still remembered some of that. That's good. Uh, excellent message that got the series started. And now, seven weeks later, we come to uh, James chapter 3, verses 13 through chapter 4, verse 10. And today's message is entitled, The Humble Life. So if you have a, a Bible with you, please turn to James chapter 3. If not, use the pew Bible that is in front of you, and you can turn to page 855. And there you'll find our reading for this morning. And I should say, before we read the scriptures, there will be no references to ballroom dancing today. <laughs> Sorry to disappoint you, so be it. James chapter 3, verse 13, reading from the New International Version. And I'll ask you this morning to uh, please keep the Bible open in front of you as we move through this passage. James continues, Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. Hard-hitting words from James. Verse 17 continues, But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but you do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you can't get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive, because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. Chapter 4, verse 4, you adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God? Or do you think Scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us? For he gives us more grace. That is why Scripture says God opposes the proud, but gives grace or shows favor to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. The Lord will bless to us the reading of his word this morning. Let's pray. Father, we do bow once again in your presence just to ask for your help. Father, we need the indwelling power of your Holy Spirit to open our hearts and our minds this morning. Thank you for your word of truth that reveals your love to us, reveals uh, the love of Jesus Christ who went to the cross and died for us. 
Thank you, Father, for the truth that's contained here, and we seek to be uh, followers of Jesus. We seek to be molded and shaped more into your image this day, and we ask for your help now in his name. Amen. Amen. James begins this passage in verse 13 of chapter 3 by saying, Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life. Who is wise among you? Let them show it by their good life. On Monday morning of this past week, the first thing that jumped off the page to me was this question, what is a good life? What is it? What is a good life? After my dad's uh, passing and memorial service, uh, just a month ago, I had a number of conversations with people who were challenged to consider or reconsider their answer to this question, what really is a good life? This is one of the realities of death, isn't it? It causes us all to assess the purpose, the trajectory of our lives, and question if we're in fact living a good life. On July 15th, we as a family gathered around my dad's grave. And during that committal service, uh, we committed his body, if you will, to the Lord, but he was already in glory. <laughs> but we had a great time together with family out of town. Every grandkid was there, every great-grandchild was there. And we just gathered around simply to remember and reflect. We then went on to my mom and dad's church uh, in Oakville where they've uh, you know, been going for years. And there we had some visitation. We had uh, our memorial service. And then after the lunch, um, as things were wrapping up, my, my daughter told me uh, not long after that, as she called, and she says, you're not going to believe what happened. Um, their little five-year-old son, my, my grandson, as they were getting into the car to go home, he said, Mommy and Daddy, we need to go back to see great-grandpa. We need to go back. We need to go back now. He's five years old. This little guy had a special connection with my dad. And so my daughter and son-in-law just kind of followed the direction. Daddy, do we turn here? Do we need to turn here? And so they took him to the graveside that now had been covered with dirt. And my daughter just opened the car door, and that little five-year-old kid, he went out and he just stood in front of that grave and just looking at the ground. Brooke, my daughter, just took a picture. And it's one of those pictures that has impacted me so much it's blown up it sits in the back of my Sunday sermon folder and it comes with me every Sunday what was he thinking I don't know someday I'm going to talk to him about it but in his simple little way he was reflecting on great grandpa great 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 grandpa as he said no no just one great that's all he needs one great and I don't know what he was thinking, but he was reflecting, friends, on what I believe was a man who lived a good life. And it's challenged me, and this is why I carry that picture with me. When my days on this earth are done, is there going to be anybody that stands over my grave and concludes he lived a good life? Or are they going to conclude something different? What is a good life? 
James offers two very different descriptions here of what a good life is and what it's perceived to be. One is based on worldly wisdom, and one is based on godly wisdom. And as we consider these two perspectives this morning, let me ask you, what source of wisdom is desiring or, or, pursue, or causing you, uh, driving you in your pursuit of the good life? Let me talk to all the young people here. Let me talk to all the middle-aged people here. Let me talk to those of us who are older here. What is driving your pursuit of the good life? Is it worldly wisdom? Or is it godly wisdom? Using the passage before us as our guide, let's begin by responding to this question through the lens of worldly wisdom. Worldly wisdom says a good life, or the good life, <laughs> is driven by pride, selfishness, the pursuit of what I want. It's defined by bank accounts, possessions, pleasure, self-indulgence, play, free time. The so-called good life, according to worldly wisdom, was captured in that advertising campaign of years ago, Freedom 55. Freedom 55. I played golf with my buddy yesterday who turned 56 yesterday, and he said Freedom 55 is a lie because I'm going back to work tomorrow morning. <laughs> Freedom 55. Oh, at 55, if I can just get to 55, then I can just live the way I want to live. Is worldly wisdom driving your pursuit of the good life? Well, what is the source of this approach, this pursuit of the so-called good life? Well, according to James, look at it, chapter 3, verse 14, it's selfish ambition in your hearts. James doesn't pull any punches here. I love this little book. I read it all the time because I need to be reminded of these truths. The source of worldly wisdom, the source of this approach to the so-called good life is selfish ambition in your hearts. And the proud worldly wisdom behind this, notice verse 15, does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. Whoa, 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 James. These are harsh words. Words I need to pay attention to. What are the outcomes of this selfish approach to life? Notice chapter 3, 16 through chapter 4, verse 2, which says, For where you have envy and selfish ambition, the source of this worldly wisdom and approach to life, there you find disorder and every evil practice. What causes fights and quarrels among you? You desire, but you do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and you fight. Came across this illustration from David Jeremiah's book, Where Do We Go From Here? Sean Hopwood grew up in a Christian home in rural Nebraska with parents who had started a local church. He was the oldest of five children. He was bright, excelling on standardized tests. Uh, he played basketball in high school and won a scholarship to Nebraska's Midland University. But in his teens, Hopwood grew disillusioned with his basketball skills, stopped going to classes, and dropped out of school. We begin to see worldly wisdom, the approach to the good life, taking over in Sean's life. He soon joined the United States Navy, ended up in the Persian Gulf guarding warships, and shoulder-mounted Stinger missiles. But Hopwood developed acute pancreatitis, almost died in a Bahrain hospital, and left the Navy with an honorable discharge. 
That's when lostness overtook the young man. Oh, the good life. Worldly wisdom. You see, alcohol and drug use became raging addictions. He became depressed. One day while drinking with a friend, they decided to go rob a bank together. Why not? They could use the money, the good life, according to worldly wisdom. They ended up robbing five banks while armed, and afterward, Hopwood squandered the money on parties. Oh, yeah, the party life. Young people don't get sucked in by the party life. I've watched it play out time and time and time again. 35 years worth of the party life. Oh, man, what a great time we can have. The alcohol, the drugs, and all the rest of it. Friends, it's worldly wisdom. It's worldly wisdom that pursues the so-called good life. Eventually, Hopwood's life came crashing down the lobby of the Doubletree Hotel in Omaha, Nebraska, just as James predicts, with FBI agents tackling and arresting him. A year later, terrified, he stood before a federal judge who sentenced him to more than 12 years in prison. Shortly thereafter, he was on a prison plane, handcuffed, shackled, and heading to a federal penitentiary. He was only 23, and his life was growing worse and worse by the day. We'll come back to Sean's life a little later. Friends, the pursuit, the pursuit of the so-called good life as defined by this kind of proud, selfish, worldly wisdom leads to chaos, and this is what seems to be driving our world today more than ever. Well, how does godly wisdom describe and articulate a good life? So let's, let's change our perspective now. Let's put a different lens on the camera. We've looked at what worldly wisdom suggests is a good life and, and the outcomes and the sources of it. Let's think about godly wisdom now. Chapter 3, verse 13 says this, Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in humility that come from wisdom. See, according to godly wisdom, the good life is a life that shows deeds done in humility. See the difference? See the contrast? I wonder, is this the kind of life that you're pursuing? Is this the kind of life that I'm pursuing? Are we proudly pursuing the good life as defined by this world, or are we seeking to show good deeds done in humility, which is derived from godly wisdom? Well, let's think about the source of this approach, this pursuit of the good life. Notice chapter 3, verse 17. That's why you need your Bible open in front of you, or your phone app, or whatever it might be. And I appreciate that phones when you're using them for this purpose. When phones first came out, I was preaching, and this young guy had the nerve to pull out his cell phone right in front of me. I'm preaching, you're right in front of me. Well, then I realized he's got his Bible on it. I didn't know that at the time. So keep it in front of you. We need to reference it because we come to chapter 3, verse 17. What's the source of this godly wisdom? What's the source of this pursuit of the good life? But this wisdom comes from where? From heaven. Ah, friends, I don't know about you. I want wisdom that comes from heaven. I'm not interested in the wisdom that comes from this world. Although, as we'll get to, I'm still influenced by it. Where are the outcomes of this approach to a good life? 
from this wisdom that comes from heaven? Well, according to our text, the outcome is showing good deeds done in humility. If we are committed to living the good life as defined by godly wisdom, does your life, does my life, show good deeds? In another recent sermon, Gary referenced the Sermon on the Mount in your last series. And I want to do the same. I want to come back to the Sermon on the Mount. I spent five weeks in a church earlier this year going through parts of the Sermon on the Mount. It's life-changing. To hear the greatest teacher of all time and what's called to be the greatest sermon of all time. There's so much there for us, like James, so practical, so necessary in my life. And as we look to Jesus and what he preached in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, 16, we read these words, in the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds, same language as used by James here, and glorify your Father in heaven. You see, the good life is defined by godly wisdom, shows or produces good deeds that shine out into this world and cause others to glorify our Father in heaven. Again, if you're committed to this pursuit of a good life, what good deeds shine forth from you and shine forth from me? Godly wisdom, the source from heaven. The outcomes, good deeds done in humility. You know, my dad didn't make millions and millions of dollars. He didn't donate millions and millions of dollars. There's no hospital with his name on it. My dad didn't like to get up in front of people. He was kind of a shy man. Um, spoke about his Lord and his faith radiated from him, but it was kind of on that one-to-one, quiet, never stood up in front of people. I have to say this, though. My heart was touched this morning when we sang, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. It's my very first memory of being in church. <laughs> As a kid, it's my very first memory of being in church. And what I remember, I was standing with my mom on the aisle of this, I don't know how old I'd be, but my dad was in the choir, and they were wearing their black gowns in this choir in the church they were around. I just remember as a little kid, my dad walking up beside me, singing, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. But you know, my dad's life was a life of good deeds done in humility. He was the guy when it snowed who, you know, put on his hat and coat and worked the community, <laughs> going and shoveling driveways of people at the church who couldn't do it themselves or neighbors who weren't able. He was the guy that went and cut grass. He was the guy that looked after the gardens in front of the church, quiet, not in front of everybody. Nobody knew anything about it. He was the guy that came to us and helped us whenever we needed something, always seeking to do good needs in the name of Jesus to help those around him. And as I mentioned last week, Dad spent the last 20 years of his life volunteering uh, at Credit Valley Hospital in Mississauga. And uh, as I mentioned last week, when Dad passed on July the 11th and that whole code blue thing played out, and in the end we had to sort of put an end to their efforts to let dad go. I was sharing with Ken and Carolyn last Sunday that those memories will never leave my mind. But what was really strange was when dad had passed, mom and I are sitting watching this all play out in the hallway in front of his room. All these nurses, these doctors, these medical people came out of his room crying. They came out of his room hugging each other. I thought, man, this is weird. 
What's this all about? These people do this every day. And then I realized the code blue response team came from the ICU. That's where dad worked for 20 years as a volunteer. They were his friends. <laughs> they weren't just responding to a stranger. They were responding, trying to save the life of somebody they loved. And they were all people who he loved. He talked about them all the time. And they had grown friendships and relationships and connected with each other. And they came out and were just, you know, taken by the fact that Glenn had passed away. You see, that's the outcome of a good life. <laughs> that's the outcome of a life that was focused on good deeds done in humility in the name of Jesus Christ. Anybody, anybody upset when I pass? <laughs> what does it mean to be humble? What is humility? One person said, it's not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. <laughs> to be humble means to be mild, gentle, lowly in position. In fact, according to our text, and this is an interesting thing when we look at uh, verse uh, 17 of James chapter 3, we find a beautiful description of what humility looks like and sounds like. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, in other words it's humble, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Do these outcomes of godly wisdom, do they describe you, do they describe me? They certainly describe Jesus Christ, who last week we referred to as our hero in glory. Who, we read in Philippians 4, 8, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. And as we've considered that already this morning, as we took communion and shared that together, do you realize that Jesus Christ, the very Son of God, died on a cross to save you and to save me from the penalty of our sin? Have you come to Jesus for a heart change? Remember the pursuit of worldly wisdom, the pursuit of the good life according to this world. The source of it is, what do we read? Selfish ambition in your hearts. And as we talked about last week, we need new hearts, friends. And that begins when we commit ourselves to Jesus Christ and embrace him as our Savior and Lord. Our sins are forgiven. We're given new life in him. We're giving the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit to guide our thoughts, our emotions, our motives. We're given the Word of God in our hands and the ability to understand it. We're given a hope in our hearts that one day we'll be in His presence forevermore. I hope you know Jesus as your Savior and Lord. If not today, right where you are. You don't need to come up front. You don't need to walk up to the front. Right where you are, you can do business with God by confessing your sin to him. Three words Jesus used over and over in the New Testament and the Gospels. I studied this a number of years ago. What did Jesus say to people who were talking to him about wanting eternal life? What were the words he used? Three words he used quite a bit. The most common words were repent, believe, and follow. If you're not a Christian this morning, you need to repent of your sin as we've all had to do. Recognize it, acknowledge it. We're not perfect, we fall short. We miss the mark, we miss the standard. When we repent of something, we turn around. We, we go in an opposite direction, and we go towards Jesus and the cross, and there we trust him. We believe by faith. We accept what he did on our behalf, and we seek to follow 
him? Are you following him? Am I following him? To follow Jesus, friends, is to be humble. It's not to be proud. It's to be humble, as Jesus was humble. Worldly wisdom is driven by pride. Godly wisdom is driven by humility. And as we move into chapter 4, James is led by the Holy Spirit, offers his thoughts to these two competing perspectives of wisdom. Remember that James is speaking to Christians scattered abroad. And in verse 4 he says, You adulterous people. Don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world or this worldly wisdom, this way of approaching life, becomes an enemy of God? You see, the reality is, although Christians, we oscillate to varying degrees between these two perspectives of wisdom. Yes, I want my life to be guided by godly wisdom in humility. But friends, living in this world, we are inundated with information and, and messaging that influences us with this worldly wisdom that is you know, selfish in nature and, and proud in nature. It's so easy to be influenced. Dale, look, man, you've, you know, you're, you're retired now. Like, come on, relax. Right? Just enjoy it. Just, you know, hang it up. Just enjoy life, man. What's wrong with you? Eat drink and be merry because tomorrow you die really oh no you deserve it you deserve it come on we all know this influence we all know this messaging what are you going to do when you retire I've had that conversation a million times with people Asking me, what are you going to do? Oh, I'm going to travel. Oh, yeah? You got $100 million in the bank? What do you mean you're going to travel? You're going to go away for a week? That's good. You're going to travel? That's good. You're going to play golf? I like to golf. You're going to play. Well, how much golf are you going to play? Well, how much golf can you play? Lord, thank you for a little flexibility in my time. And yeah, sorry, I spent seven days a week playing golf. Well, that's great. What good deeds did you do in humility in my name? Don't get sucked in by this worldly message. This worldly wisdom, friends. As Christians, we're still influenced by it. Now we need to say yes to godly wisdom. Because we read in chapter 4, verse 6, God opposes the proud, but shows favor or gives grace to the humble. Okay, Lord, I admit it. I do want to live a good life as defined by godly wisdom. I want to show forth good deeds done in humility, but Lord, I struggle with this battle with the world. I'm inundated by messaging from this world. You know, I've moved, again, the last five years ago, we moved to kind of northwest Georgetown area, which for me is in the middle of the country. <laughs> Growing up in Toronto, which is where I grew up, and then moved to Mississauga. Oh, 
I love it. I, I've always valued what you people have living here in truly God's country. It's, it's a beautiful place to live. And I just have embraced even, you know, where we are, which is kind of rural compared to what I've known growing up. But where I used to live, I couldn't walk outside my door hardly before I'm starting being inundated by messaging. What's on bus stops? What's on billboards? Let alone when I'm letting in through my ears or through my eyes, through television, radio, whatever it is. We're just inundated. I don't have that as much anymore. I get on my bike. Within 30 seconds, I'm on country roads going by the beautiful horse farms and just praising my Lord and the beauty that he's created. Ah, oh, it's so much more healthy. <laughs> Trust me. Lord, I want to I be guided by godly wisdom. I, I want to I shut out this worldly wisdom that keeps pounding in on my life. How do we do it? Well, we're running out of time. But we can't run out of time before we look at what James tells us in verses 7 through 9 of chapter 4. Here's the practical conclusion to our passage that's found here. As we read these verses, we find a number of words that articulate practical action. Action. Yeah. Action. Right? I'm always big on the action part of things. Yeah, last week it was one, two, three, right? <laughs> this week, we're taking the very words of Scripture as our action plan. You want to fight the worldly wisdom? You want to embrace godly wisdom? How do you do it as a Christian? How do I do it? What does James says? He says, submit, resist, come near, wash your hands, purify your hearts, grieve, mourn, wail, change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in grace 10 before the Lord and he will lift you up. Thank you, James. There is, there, there's like a month worth of sermons in the conclusion to our passage today. And I love this practical part of, of what James is sharing with us here. This struggle between worldly wisdom and godly wisdom. One is focused on pride. One is focused on humility. And, and our pursuit should be these good deeds done in humility, following the example of Jesus Christ. But we, we are stuck in this battle. That's the challenge of the Christian life. Yeah, no, we're not called to go up to some mountaintop, sell everything we have, and just kind of, hum, and wait for the Lord to come. No, 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 no. For we're in this world. James says, in, or John says in chapter 17 in that great prayer, the high priestly prayer, Lord, don't take them out of the world, but what? Thank you, brother. Exactly right. Did you all hear that? Keep them from the evil one. So we all got a role to play. We got work to do. It's not time to check out. It's not Freedom 55 just yet, friends. We're going to have freedom eternal one day. I'll have lots of time to rest one day. <laughs> but in the meantime, we all have work to do. We're all called to be in this world, to influence this world, to go about doing good deeds in the name of Jesus Christ humbly. All right, how do we, how do, we do it? Ah. <sighs> Submit to God, verse 7. That means to obey Him. 7, resist the devil. That means withstand or stand against Him. Read Ephesians chapter 6. 
Verse 8, come near to God or approach Him. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16, right? Come boldly into the presence of God. How often do we do that? Verses 8 and 9, wash your hands. Purify your hearts. We were encouraged to do that this morning, friends. We need to do that. Sometimes I need to do that every minute of the day. I need to claim 1 John 1, 8 9 believing that if I come before him and confess my sins, he's faithful and just to forgive me my sins and to what? Cleanse me from all unrighteousness. We need to stay near through confession of our sins. Wash your hands, purify your hearts. And then this whole thing about grieving and mourning and wailing about our spiritual imperfection. Recognize it for what it is. See, pride says, I'm good. (laughs) Pride says, I'm good. No, no, no. Godly wisdom says in humility, I miss the mark. Lord, forgive me. Help me to be more like your son. And in verse 10 of chapter 4, humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. Oh, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Let me continue in the story of Sean Hopwood I shared with you earlier. As time went by, we left Sean's story when he was in jail. Sean got a job in the prison library where he began reading books about the law. As he learned about the law, he began taking on cases for fellow prisoners, writing petitions they could use in federal courts. They called him the jailhouse lawyer. (laughs) Sean also began corresponding with a friend named Annie, his secret crush through high school. Furthermore, his parents let him know they continued to pray for him, and his mom kept sending him Christian books. One day, Sean's prison friend Robert had a life-changing experience with Jesus Christ. Sean took that all in, and he found it increasingly difficult to rationalize his darkened life. My paraphrase, guided by worldly wisdom. After Sean was released from prison in 2009, he and Annie got engaged. They asked uh, Pastor Marty to officiate the wedding, but uh, but Pastor Marty wanted to talk to them first. He asked them what they believed about Jesus, and he said they could be forgiven by the shed blood of Christ. The pastor's exact words were, Yeah, Sean, even you, Sean, can be forgiven, because Sean didn't think he was deserving of God's forgiveness. Sean described what happened next. The next day, I couldn't escape the feeling that God had been pursuing me for a long time, and that I'd just abandoned my stubbornness and selfishness and hand everything over to him, I could find this redemption. What does it mean to be redeemed, and how do you redeem yourself after robbing five banks? The answer is you don't. The answer is that you need some help. In Ephesians 1, 7, 8, Paul writes that in Christ we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. To put it differently, because of our sins, none of us, and surely no former prisoner like me, can be redeemed on our own. We need the gospel of grace, which says that each of us matters and has worth because we're made in the image of God. Grace says we're not defined by our failures and our faults, but by a love without merit or condition. God's grace was enough to redeem me. Sean and Annie asked Christ to come into their lives. They were married, they were baptized, they moved to Seattle so Sean could attend the University of Washington Law School. (laughs) We're seeing godly wisdom take over here, folks. Today, get this, Sean is a professor of law at Georgetown University in Washington, D.C., where he's spreading the light of Jesus Christ every day 
my paraphrase, in deeds done in humility. He's living a good life. He's living a good life as defined by godly wisdom, which is found in humility. When the day of my death comes, if the Lord doesn't return and kids and grandkids or a great grandchild <laughs> standing over my grave what will they be thinking will they remember and conclude that dad, grandpa, great grandpa lived a good life as defined by godly wisdom this is incredibly challenging to me because I've got a lot of work to do got a lot of work to do to seek the run the race well and to run the race well to the end friend that'll happen as we submit resist, wash purify and seek with the Lord's help to live a good life that shows good deeds done in humility God bless you let's pray and then we'll call upon Gary to come up Father we just thank you for these wonderful words of truth we live in a world that's crying for truth and we hold it in our hands in this wonderful book of scripture and we thank you that James encourages us to say no to worldly wisdom and the pride and the selfishness found there but to say yes to godly wisdom and the humility that drives us to live a good life which is demonstrated through good deeds done in humility in the name of Jesus. Father, we thank you for each person who's gathered here this morning. Bless each individual. And we commit them to your care in Jesus' name. Amen. Some words written centuries ago in Micah chapter 6 say this, What is good? And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Father, we take these words to heart this morning. We ask that you would use these words by the power of your Holy Spirit to change us, to conform us, to continue that work in progress that we all are as we seek to become more like Jesus Christ, seeking to do good deeds done in humility in the name of Jesus and for the glory of our, you, our Heavenly Father. We give you thanks this day and ask your blessing now in Jesus' name. Amen. It really has been a privilege to be with you. I, I look forward to this on my speaking calendar. I'm glad to give Pastor Gary and Andreas a break, and, and I just love being among you. So thank you so much for the encouragement you've been to me. I'm leaving here encouraged, built up, strengthened, and I hope the Lord has used our time together to do the same in your life. God bless you, and look forward to seeing you sometime down the road. Thanks. Thank you.